Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer. Welcome to December. We get to kick off our uh, Christmas or Advent series uh, this morning. And so if you have a Bible, uh, let me invite you to turn to John chapter 16. And as you are turning there, I've got uh, just a couple real quick announcements for you. First off, if you have not yet still uh, received one of our free Advent devotional guides, grab one of these, if you would, on your way out. Uh, they are in the lobby, so grab one for free and use those uh, with, uh, with friends, with family, with roommates as you walk through uh, Advent this season. Um, I know many of you, you're new to church, you're new to, um, some of you brand new to Christianity. Uh, Advent, it's not necessarily something that's found in the Bible. It's a historical Christian tradition. Uh, oftentimes the uh, Christian church over the centuries has uh, created what we call the kind of the Christian calendar, uh, where we take certain times throughout the year and we focus on certain things. Uh, it's not like Passover. Passover is a biblical thing that we see uh, in scripture. Uh, and uh, for the, really centuries and centuries, uh, Christians have taken about the month of December leading up to Christmas uh, to set aside and to reflect on the advent of Christ. The word advent means the coming of Christ. Uh, and uh, for those who are in the Old Testament, um, they were really leaning into the first coming, uh, especially the Jewish people that had uh, heard these promises for centuries that God promised he was going to send a Messiah, that he promised uh, he was going to send a Savior. And so they had these promises of God. And what they were doing is they were hoping for those promises to be fulfilled or to come true. And so they were leaning into the future, uh, hoping for the first coming of the Messiah. And then lo and behold, just as God had promised, he sends Christ into the world, uh, born in a manger in Bethlehem. Uh, he fulfilled his promises. And so for us, uh, being New Testament Christians, uh, we're kind of between the times. We're between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, uh, which for us, we don't look forward to the first coming, right? Because it already happened. Uh, so this, uh, this Advent season, uh, we set aside some time, and although it's not commanded in the scriptures uh, to celebrate Advent, right, every, uh, every year, I think it can be such an incredible gift and tool and such a good thing because, like, true story, we can get so lost in the hustle and the bustle of the holidays uh, that we just completely miss the point of all of them. We can get lost in the Christmas uh, spirit. We can get lost sometimes in the twinkles and the lights and trying to find all the right gifts and uh, trying to go to all of the Christmas parties that we really forget to slow our hearts down and to reflect on the past, what it truly means for the world in a general sense, and for us in a very specific sense, that Jesus came, right? That Jesus fulfilled the promises, uh, but then we also are leaning forward into the second coming, that there's an element of us that uh, is leaning forward in hope, knowing that something will happen that has not yet happened, something will be fulfilled that has not yet been fulfilled. So that's what we're doing in this Advent season, uh, and historically, we kind of look at four big pillars, um, peace hope, joy, and love. Uh, so the next uh, four Sundays that we have, we'll be looking at each one of those. And what does it mean for us that Jesus came to give peace, that Jesus came to give hope, that Jesus came to fill us with joy, that Jesus came truly to demonstrate love for us. And so for this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about peace. Everybody say peace. 
Um, two parts really to uh, Advent this morning about peace. Uh, one, we're going to open up John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, uh, and I'll preach for a few moments uh, about Jesus, really the words of Jesus uh, and his heart to give his people a true, deep, abiding peace. Uh, but then we're going to watch a video uh, that was put together by Melissa and our story team uh, that's really going to take a family here at Redeemer uh, and help us see what it looked like for them on the ground to navigate some very difficult things and yet be covered by the very real peace of Christ. Uh, peace is incredibly important. I, I would make the case that most of us spend a lot of our time and a lot of our money trying to pursue peace, probably on uh, many different levels. Uh, if you really take a, take a pause and uh, kind of zoom out and think a little bit, um, that even this the search for peace, it's, it's so intricately designed into right the DNA of being human that uh, even a baby in the womb before it's ever born is designed by God. It's wired by God to uh, long for and desire peace. So if they have to do any type of uh, in utero blood test and they uh, prick the heel of a baby in the womb, that baby will recoil and try to get away from that because it's designed for peace and it wants to get towards things that, that give it peace and just in, intrinsically to get away from things that steal its peace. I I mean, it begins like even before you're born, this desire to try to live uh, a life at uh, peace. Uh, if we think about why people uh, will spend a lot of time and a lot of money going to marriage counseling, uh, why is that? Uh, normally because it's the peace of the marriage um, that has been threatened or damaged or broken. And so they're trying to uh, get someone to help them recover uh, the peace that's in their marriage and so willing to go uh, to great lengths, to great expenses, to restore uh, marital peace. Uh, this is the reason why some people self-medicate because they have so many things going on, so many problems going on uh, that oftentimes we feel like I just need a few moments of peace. I just need to get away uh, from the problems. I need to find just a moment, a little moment of reprieve, a moment of peace uh, can send us to some very difficult and dark places. Uh, even some good prescription medications, right? Some of those are designed to help us uh, relieve some anxiety and find our way towards uh, some peace. Uh, one of the uh, most, uh, I guess, famous books about financial uh, dealings and uh, this whole course that you can go through is called what? Financial Peace. Millions and millions and millions of Americans have gone through this because they realize even financially, if you're underneath this burden of debt and these things have taken away our financial peace, like this is such a, a, a an incredible thing that millions and millions of people have drawn to this because they even want financial peace. Uh, politicians uh, every year or two or every four years uh, will try to um, stand on the platform of, uh, if you vote for me, then I'll help usher in uh, world peace or I'll help lead the conversations with China or with Russia or whoever is threatening global peace. And you know this, every beauty pageant um, contestant that has ever lived wanted what? World peace. Uh, none have yet delivered either politician or beauty contestant. Uh, but wh why do they say that? Because they know that's an important thing that we're looking for someone that can help um, bring peace. And um, every human being is on a search 
for peace because that's how God designed the world to work. Uh, the Bible calls that state of absolute perfect peace, shalom. That's the, that's the picture that is painted for us in the very beginning of your Bible when God creates everything. It's created with perfect shalom, uh, perfect peace, and then sin came in and wrecked that. And all of us, like there's a, there's a desire and a longing for peace um, that we can spend a lot of our lives trying to find relational peace marital peace, financial peace, emotional peace, uh, peace in all these different areas. And I saw a really interesting study that the, the Huffington Post put out uh, not too long ago. Um, they said this study of hundreds and hundreds of people in the United States revealed two things. Uh, the peace was the top thing that Americans wanted and also the top thing that Americans had trouble finding. Like that there's this weird thing going on in our culture that everybody wants peace, but it sounds like a lot of people are really struggling to truly find it. And uh, so Jesus, like that, that seems to be uh, one of the most important things on his list. And we just read it. I want to uh, turn your attention back to Isaiah 7 just as, a, as an intro to get into uh, the book of John. But Isaiah, this is uh, the prophet Isaiah, seven centuries, 700 years uh, before Christ would be born, before, before the first advent uh, of Jesus. He's, he's prophesying and he's describing what this Savior or what this Messiah would be like. Uh, and uh, God speaks through Isaiah and says this, for to us, a child is born. Not even just a child, he gets a little more specific to us. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. One of the prophecies of this uh, Messiah, the Savior born into the world, is that he will be the Prince of Peace. Is that he very unique will actually be the only one that can usher you towards the peace that you're longing for, uh, towards the peace that you were designed for, towards the peace that you are looking for. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and that seems to be uh, one of the uh, the pinnacle things on Jesus's mind the last few hours that he had. So in Matthew, uh, or sorry, John chapter 14 uh, and John chapter chapter 16, I'll give you just a little bit of the context, uh, and then we will jump in. And I uh, just want to preach mainly that John chapter 17 passage. Uh, so the context, uh, if you're new to the Bible, um, John, the, the gospel of John is one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of the life of Jesus, roughly beginning with his birth, walking through his miracles, his teaching, his development of the uh, disciples, uh, his preaching and explanation of the gospel and the kingdom, and ultimately culminating in the the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of John is so unique because about half of it, the first half covers a lot of his life. The second half of the book mainly just spans a couple hours of Jesus's life. It zooms in uh, to the last few moments that Jesus had on earth with his disciples and uh, by the time we pick up in chapter 14, he had just explained to them uh, in the upper room some details that he was going to be betrayed, uh, that he was going to be crucified, uh, that he was going to very real, in a, in a very real and physical way, give his life and be, be killed. And 
you can almost tell that he reads like on their faces, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anxiety that was overwhelming them. And so he turns his attention um, to really make sure his people knew and were able to connect the dots between Jesus and peace. So the few moments that Jesus had, he knew the betrayers were on the way. Uh, he knew he only had maybe a few moments left uh, to teach his disciples. And one of the things he decided to focus on was peace. John chapter 14, uh, verse 27, uh, Jesus, last few hours, says this. No doubt looking around the room at the 12 that he had just explained what was about to take place. They're scared, they're fearful, they're uh, full of anxiety. And he says, peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I'm going to unpack that in a moment. My peace, Jesus says, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Uh, there's a way in which both in Jesus' context 2,000 years ago and the cultural context that you live in today, there's a way in which uh, everybody recognizes the world is trying to find some peace, um, but the world tends to offer it in a way that's very, very insufficient. It tries to offer it really in a way that's kind of outside in, that if you can just fix your uh, finances and if you can fix these external things, then that's going to deep down and you'll actually have peace deep in your heart, deep in the core of who you are. And Jesus like, that's not how it works. That doesn't work. In fact, if that did work, I don't think the stat would say that Americans want to have peace, but just can't really find it. So Jesus says like, not as the world gives, do I give to you, not external, not contingent on good circumstances, not contingent on uh, no bad diagnosis. He's like, I don't, I don't give peace the same way that the world tries to. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. And then go to your Bible, fast forward maybe a page or two to John chapter 16. This probably would have been just moments later in the same location, in the same conversation. John 16, verse 31 through 33. We'll read this and then we'll pick this apart. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. It's here when you will be scattered. Okay, now it, uh, again, we talk about this often to try to read yourself into the story, to try to understand what it would be like if you had given up absolutely everything to follow Jesus and now you're in a meeting with him and he's talking about being uh, crucified and uh, he's talking about your uh, persecution and your suffering that's coming. Uh, no doubt that would instill some anxiety and some fear. He's like, the time's coming. Indeed, it, it's now when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone, and that indeed happened, uh, by the end of the night, all of them would abandon him, one would betray him, Jesus would be left alone. He says, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. And he says, I have said these things to you that in me, everybody say in me. That's the key to this whole thing. Uh, I've said these things to you that in me, and maybe he pointed to himself, uh, you may have peace for in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It seems to me 
that one of the main goals Jesus had for that night in the upper room was to try to help them connect the dots between him and actual peace because he wanted them to have peace. He didn't want them chasing a bunch of endless rabbit trails that the world offers that don't truly uh, deliver peace. He, above, uh, above many other things, wanted them to have peace. As I was looking through just verses 31, 32, 33 this week, uh, five things kind of uh, jumped out to me about the peace of Christ uh, that Christ offers. And obviously, not just to those that were in that room today, but uh, offers them to any of you that uh, desire peace, that want to find peace, that Jesus is, in fact, the Prince of Peace. First thing that jumps out is that the peace of Christ is a gift. Did you all catch this? Uh, in fact, go back if you look up to um, uh, chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Right? The peace of Christ is not something that you can work for. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can buy. It's something that Jesus just simply decided to give to us. It's a gift. The peace of Christ is a gift that he wants to give. Like He, he wants to give his peace to you. And, and I, I spent some time, and I would highly recommend this uh, of you this week, because that phrase right there, my peace... I give to you, that, is, that was such a deep thing for me this week to think through. Like the very peace that resided in the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ himself, he decides that he's going to share that peace with us. And this is one of those things that I think we just kind of, we have the ability to miss some of the depth of the meaning if we just read that and move on. Like the depth of what Jesus just said probably can't sink in on us unless we truly spend some time meditating for a long time on what Jesus said. You think about the very peace that Jesus experienced in some of the most difficult of circumstances. Jesus decides he's going to give the very peace that Jesus experienced and he's going to share it with us. What an incredible gift. Listen, if you open one gift, if you receive one gift this holiday season, may it be the peace of Christ. It's a gift um, that he gives to us. And this is one of those gifts that uh, the gift also somewhat insinuates the need, right? The need, let's say that you're opening a you're opening a present, one of your best friends gives you some deodorant, uh, what would you read into that? You'd be slightly offended. You're like, well, you're also communicating that I, I need this. Uh, like when Jesus is offering a gift, what he's, what he's insinuating, I think, is like, you're not going to find this anywhere else. You need this. You need this peace, and you're not going to have it anywhere else unless you accept the gift from Jesus. The peace of Christ is a gift. Number two, the peace of Christ is deeper than your circumstances. And this is what makes it very different than the peace that the world offers. The peace that the world offers is if you can kind of rid your life of all difficulties, all difficult situations, all difficult circumstances, then you can have peace. And so the world tries to offer peace that's built on the foundation of circumstances. And as long as we can manipulate and fix uh, the circumstances, then we can have peace. Jesus provides a peace that runs so much deeper than that. He gets down way underneath all of the situations, all of the circumstances, all of the relational problems, all of the child rebellion, all of the addictions, all of the brokenness, all of the 
cancer. He, he gets down underneath and provides a peace that is so beyond your circumstances that good times can come and go, and it does not affect your peace. That's such a wildly different type of peace than what we get offered by the world. The peace of Christ is deeper than your circumstances. He says this. He says, in this world, you will. Everybody say will. Don't say might. Jesus doesn't say, if you, if, you, if you don't have enough faith or if you don't love me enough, you might have some tribulation. He just guarantees. He's like, life is hard. The world is broken. You're going to experience trouble and tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. And yet he says that, that doesn't negate the peace that Christ offers because his peace goes all the way down to the very bottom floor underneath the circumstances. That's the type of peace that you need because life is difficult. The world is broken, situations and circumstances will come and go, and if you don't have a peace that can get up underneath that, you're going to be riding this roller coaster where your peace is tethered to your circumstances, and that's not the peace that Christ offered. Peace that Christ offers truly is deeper than your circumstance. We stand on it. Number three, the peace of Christ is logical. It's, it's rational. It, it makes sense. Uh, and let me explain because uh, the next one kind of adds a little bit of flavor to this idea. Uh, Jesus says, he says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but... Conversely, take heart because I have overcome the world. And he says this elsewhere that there's kind of a logical connection between if we have certain fears and we think about logically, rationally, who Jesus is and what he has done, that should alleviate some of our fears, right? If he's like, I have overcome the world, like logically, there's nothing more to be afraid of. So if we have fear, anxiety, things that rob our peace that have to do with death, a very logical thing is to think, well, Jesus conquered death. He beat death. He overcame death. Therefore, logically, I don't have to fear death anymore. That's a very logical thing. Or if you fear spiritual uh, attacks, uh, satanic uh, attacks, demonic attacks, you can very logically come to the conclusion, I don't have to fear those because Jesus overcame them. Right there. So like, there's a logical way in which we need to learn to train our mind when we feel like our peace is being attacked or we're full of fear and anxiety, that we actually think about the reality that Jesus has overcome the world. And there's nothing left then to fear. If Jesus beat Satan, sin, death, the grave, then logically there's nothing left to fear because we belong to him. Now I can read on some of your faces, you're like, that all is great and dandy, but sometimes I think all those things logically and I'm still dealing with some fearful emotions, okay? Uh, number four, the peace of Christ is beyond logic also. Sometimes you don't, it doesn't make any sense, you just feel it. And I'm gonna reach over to, to let Paul uh, explain this one in Philippians chapter four, verse seven. He's talking about the peace of Christ, and he's not talking about a logical, it makes sense, and you can do that in your brain, and then it'll find its way to your heart. He says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think there is a way in which you can think your way through to a certain level of peace because Jesus has overcome the world. And there's also a way in which the Holy Spirit does this ministry of peace that just doesn't make sense. And where logic ends, 
the peace of Christ, it, it still keeps going. Are y'all with me? Like, think your way through it because peace makes sense. But also, he's like, yeah, but the peace of, of God, it truly surpasses all understanding. That sometimes you don't just know it. Sometimes, literally, you feel it. It doesn't make sense. Even in certain moments, maybe you're like, I don't know. It doesn't even make sense that I should feel the peace of God right now. And yet, I do. I see this all over Stephen in Acts when he's being stoned to death and they look on him and they said he had like he had the face of an angel like that's that doesn't make a lot of sense. But there's a way in which and many of y'all have felt it. You, you felt the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your hearts giving you peace when it didn't make sense. You didn't understand it. Praise God that he gives us peace that is both logical and beyond all logic. The peace of Christ is logical. The peace of Christ, I believe, is beyond all logic. And number five, the peace of Christ is only found in Christ. Okay, that preposition is one of the most important, most powerful prepositions in the Bible. It's used often in, right? Paul loves this phrase to talk about Christians. He defines Christians as those who are in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. And so Jesus uses these, back up to verse 33. He, he uses the preposition in. He says, in the world... You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've said these things to you in verse 33, that in me you may have peace. So he, he talks about two different things, that you can be in the world, have your hope in the world, have your identity in the world, and it is not going to produce peace, or you can have your identity and your hope in Christ, and it does produce peace. That seems to be the key here in John chapter 16 for you experiencing peace is to make sure that you are in fact in Christ. He says, I said these things to you that in me you might have peace. So what, like, you get down to the, to the very basic, what is the thing that you need to do to make sure that you have the peace of Christ? And the answer very simply is you need to be in Christ. That is is huge. My in-laws live in Georgia, uh, and a few years ago, we saved up some money, and the whole family flew to Georgia uh, for Christmas. And uh, our kids were still young, and so they didn't know where Georgia was. I tried to explain to them, well, it's another country kind of on the eastern side. You know, they speak a different language, different customs, you know, all sorts of different. It's, like, it's a long way, right? And so we looked on a map, and I showed them where uh, all of our family live. I said, well, here's kind of the map, and here we live in West Texas. Uh, we've got family in Canada. We've got family in Virginia. Virginia, and here's Georgia, and we're going to go to Georgia, and my younger kids started realizing, like, that's a long way. How are we going to get there? They start, you know, wondering, well, I don't even know. I don't know how to get there. I don't know what roads to take. I don't know where people on Honey live, and so I said, listen, just get on the plane. That's all you have to do is follow me and get on the plane, right? Because if you want to get from Midland to Georgia, and there's an airplane that is going there, Right? Then the question is, well, what, what relationship do I need to have with the airplane to get where the airplane is going, right? Obviously, this is a metaphor for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the airplane, right? If Jesus is going to re reside in heaven forever, if Jesus is a pathway to peace, like what does your relationship need to be with Jesus in order to access the peace that God is granting? Okay, so the relationship that you need to have 
between you and the airplane to get you where the airplane is going is not that you need to follow the airplane, right? That you're not going to do real well, right? The handful of you that are pilots, maybe, but my, that doesn't fit my analogy. You don't need to be inspired by the airplane. You don't need to follow the airplane. You don't need to obey the airplane. What does your relationship need to be to the airplane? You need to be in the airplane. Somebody said on. No, that'd be, that'd be cool. I'm thinking, hold on that tight. Like your relationship, if you're going to access all of the blessings of the airplane and get where the pilot's going, you need to be in the airplane, okay, to access in a deep sense all of the promises of God to his people. You don't just need to be inspired by Jesus. You don't necessarily need to even follow Jesus. You need to be in Christ. And that's like, like, like you try to sum up the gospel. The gospel is that God has given us the ability to, by faith, to be in Christ so that then everything that Jesus has done now applies to us. Y'all with me? Jesus has perfectly obeyed God, supplied perfect righteousness, and for those who are in Christ, that now applies to us. Jesus is going to heaven, we're with him, so that now applies to us. The peace of God resides in Christ. My peace I give to you. How do you get that? You get in Christ. That's the way to access the promises of God, to be in Christ. And then everything that is true of Jesus now is true of us because he's allowed us to be in Christ. So the pathway towards this peace is not trying to please God. It's not trying to obey God. It's not trying to earn God's favor. It's very simply being in Christ. And then Jesus opens up this huge pathway towards peace. So that's just very simply my question for you is, are you in Christ? The question is, well, how do we get in Christ? The biblical answer is repentance and faith. By repentance and faith, that we trust that Jesus has done something we cannot do. He's done it for us. He's done it in our place. He's done it to give us as a gift. Return to Christ. We trust in him completely as a Lord, as a Savior, and he brings us in Christ, gives us his righteousness, gives us his future, gives us his peace that's logical. It surpasses all understanding. It runs deeper than any circumstance you will ever ever face the peace of Christ. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.